Ella Labain is a renowned biblical scholar, an ET experiencer, and a longtime UFO researcher. And she's the author of a highly popular original six book nonfiction series titled Who's Who in the Cosmic Zoo? A Guide to ETs, Aliens, Exoplanets, and Space Controversies. So, in her book series, she deals with the origins and the history of humanity and the upcoming disclosure of extraterrestrials and the historic efforts of extraterrestrials to influence mankind's culture and world religions. And she also discusses end-time prophecies that dovetails into today's UFO disclosure era and how it's connected to these ancient galactic battles over Earth's future. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Welcome, Ella, to Exopolitics Today. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, a lot of my uh, audience don't know about you, so maybe we can introduce you in terms of how you got interested in this UFO extraterrestrial phenomenon. And I know in your case, it began very early when you were two years old. So what happened? Well, yes, um, I, I was abducted um, out of my crib when I was two years old and uh, uh, it started um, then, I, I, that's my earliest memory. And um, my mother passed away when I was six. And I had a lot of experiences right before that. And I remember telling her about it and, you know, not really understanding what was going on because I they used to find me upside down. Um, in the crib in my bed with nosebleeds and the reason that i could never forget it is because my uh my biological parents used to talk about it all the time and oh they had to change the bloody sheets and um and i do remember it i do have memories of waking up and seeing you know having nosebleeds and um long story short um Fast forward, when I got older, I started to realize what was happening and uh, that I had this little um, kind of BB-sized uh, nodule implant that was uh, put up my right nostril. And uh, I, I suffered uh, with allergies, um, all kinds of sinus stuff uh, for years. And fast forward, it wasn't until um, I had a near-death experience in 2010 that everything got um, cleared up. The little BB nodule thing disappeared. Um, my allergies completely disappeared. And that includes, uh, you know, the external, the hay fever, uh, the sinus issues, as well as food allergies. I mean, for years I couldn't eat gluten or dairy, and now I can without issue. So uh, after my near-death experience, I was completely healed and delivered of um, the 
injuries that uh, I sustained from the alien abductions. So, and they were with mainly grays and uh, I did see the little blue men. And um, when I married my husband, uh, my, uh, I've been married now 33 years and uh, he's a Brit. Uh, he's now an American citizen though. But um, when we met, we met on a ship, a cruise ship, but then I was taken up into a different ship and I uh, met these um, human looking uh, beings. And some of them were blonde and some of them had brown hair. Uh, they weren't all blonde. Um, and they came to check me out, I believe, uh, because I, I believe they belonged to him because I had never seen them before I met him. And um, so one thing led to another and I just started researching it. Uh, and that's what led me into the path of research. Now, you... Um Describe an incident in 1979 in the Negev Desert of Israel where you saw some ships and there was another encounter and you said you were dis saved. So what happened? Well, um, yes. So in 1976, I was sent to Israel to get an education and um, 79 was the year I graduated and it was right after my graduation uh, in July of 79. I was in limbo. I was waiting on a visa to go back uh, to, to travel to South Africa with my then boyfriend. And it took a month. And uh, I was in a, uh, the Biological Research Center of the Negev, and it was the Natibangli, which was the native English-speaking school side. There was a Hebrew side, and then we all learned Hebrew. But anyway, um, my class was the last class of that program. So I was helping my uh, principal uh, clean out books and stuff like that. And she gave me a book that belonged to David Ben-Gurion that was on his coffee table. And nobody really knows if he read it or not, but I got it. And it was called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I'm sure you've heard of it. And so I started reading it. And uh, about a week late, I was waiting on a visa for a whole month. So there's really not much to do in the desert. And I was uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight, bright sunshine, 95 degree heat, all of that. And I see this being come out of the sun, literally walk out of the sunlight on the ground to me. And he appeared and he was all bright. And he said, I am the Messiah, follow me. So I was gobsmacked and so I did. <laughs> well, that's, that's quite an experience. And so after that experience, and I guess we'll get to talk more about who that being was and the implications for that later, but mm -hmm. after that experience, the abductions stopped. Is that right? Not exactly. Um, I have been, I was struggling with uh, the abductions for pretty much most of my, um, uh, most of my life. Uh, they stopped in around 1999. 
So I had gone through a, a series of different healings, deliverances, etheric clearings, uh, and breaking contracts. So um, my my professional background is a paralegal, and so I I, I start. He started to show me how, as above, so below, that old Hermetic law, that that there is such a thing called spiritual legal ground, and just like here on Earth, when 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 we want to divorce somebody or we want to break a, an agreement or break a contract, you have to do it legally. So I basically extrapolated that concept into this realm and broke my contracts and agreements. First, you have to acknowledge that you had them in the first place, <laughs> which I did with the grays. And I realized that, that it stemmed from before my lifetime. Okay. That it went back to past lives. So let me just say, you know, I was raised Jewish, even though my mother was Italian Catholic, my father remarried a Jewish woman and they had me, they raised me Jewish and I went to Hebrew school and then they sent me to Israel. I had a stepmother. I'm like a um, classic Cinderella story. Okay. My stepmother, I in inherited three stepsisters and they were in Israel. Two of them were, and that's why I ended up in Israel because my stepmother wasn't very kind to me. Okay. And uh, so I left when I was 15, and a lot of the uh, alien abduction experiences uh, sort of bled over into them, okay? So once I kind of got away from them and got out of that whole toxic family environment, things started to change for me. Um, meanwhile, I am having these uh, repetitive, consistent visitations by this being who is named Yeshua. Okay. So being that I'm raised Jewish, I'm not supposed to believe in Jesus. In fact, once I told them about it, they completely excommunicated me from all family. I didn't go, I wasn't invited to any of my stepsister's weddings. Didn't even, wasn't even allowed to go to my father's uh, 65th of uh, his birthday party or his funeral in 2007. So when I say excommunication, I mean it, okay? Like they, I have had nothing to do, they have had nothing to do with me because they're Jewish and Jews are not supposed to believe in Jesus. Yeshua is known as Jesus, but Jesus was really a name that got attached to him in the 1700s. So through my research, I found out through linguistics that, that, you know, he wasn't called Jesus when he walked the earth. He was called Yeshua, okay, which in Hebrew means salvation. Um, and the letter J didn't come in. There is no letter J in Hebrew. So the letter J didn't even come into play until the 1700s. So that's where we get the name Jesus from. So, you know, the Jews have been through so much with Christians that, that they just like, it's, they're horrified that someone, that they sent me to Israel to get an education and I come back, you know, with Yeshua. But it, it, as far as I was concerned, it wasn't about religion. In fact, that was what sort of attracted me to him because he kept telling me and guiding me that it wasn't about the religion, that it was about relationship, okay? Two different things. And when I felt that I had this freedom 
which he showed me this liberation to be able to have a, a, an ongoing relation, intimate relationship with him, to talk to him, to hear his voice, to see him, which I have multiple times, um, without having to follow the, the ridiculous hypocrisies of the religion, I felt free. Okay, so that was a big piece for me. It still is. And I am sort of a hybrid. I, I don't really belong here or there. Okay, Christians, I got a lot of problems with with Christians, and they have problems with me too, because um, you know I, I have there's four issues in Christianity that I don't agree with Christianity because because of anti-Semitism number one because they're taught anti-Semitism, um, they deny women in leadership, they deny the the process of reincarnation, which is ancient, which is Jewish. They think it's New Age. They think it's Hindu. It's, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the Torah, it's rooted in the foundation and the core of Jewish beliefs, Kabbalah, everything. In fact, just a little aside, the reason why Jews name babies, the, they always name babies in the family, whether they're religious or not, they, can, they cannot even have anything to do with the religion, and this is what they do, it's like tradition, that the, the baby that's born in the family, their first letter is after the last person, the last family member who died because of this ancient belief that the soul reincarnates through the ancestry. Christians are told that that they're not supposed to believe in reincarnation because it was implanted and inserted into uh, the Church of Rome. And I went into this deep dive, okay, into the history, into the scriptures, and into everything. And this is what I've uncovered in my book series and it's in every single book, is that this, is God, this has been God's plan all along, okay? Not to, not to deny that there isn't heaven and hell, there is. There's different levels of it, but that everybody goes through. Not everybody reincarnates, but it's not about us. It's about the creator of our soul who sends people back for multiple reasons, okay? And the Church of Rome didn't want people to believe in that because they wanted, they had this agenda that either you're going to believe you're going to live once you got to get your life right with the church, or you're going to go to hell, which was, you know, a, a, a controlling implant. And to, to this very day, I, I have fallouts with Christians all over the place because I hold on to these beliefs that are rooted in Judaism and they deny it. And it's a huge piece. Okay. Why is this relevant? Because they cannot understand the end time prophecy unless they understand this piece. Okay. It's, it's a piece. And if you take that piece away, it's going to blind you to what is going to what is happening, what has happened already and what will happen uh, concerning the end time prophecies. It includes reincarnation. And and then, well, let me ask a question sorry. there, just just so that we can kind of like, uh, kind of like better grasp what what happened. Uh, you're, you're you've had these abduction experiences. You're in a, you've had interactions with Greys. 1979, you have that encounter in the Negev desert, and you see this being coming out of the sun, and he says he's the Messiah. Later, you find out that, or you find out during various experiences that that's Yeshua. So you've you've got these direct experiences 
with Yeshua. Yes. And that seems to be uh, very much what the Gnostics taught. The Gnostics taught that it's, it's not about belief in religious dogma, which was kind of like the apostolic tradition of the church, of the mm -hmm. Catholic Church at the time, they said, "Well, you got to believe. You know, Jesus died on the cross to save you, to save you, and uh, from sin and all of that stuff." Whereas the Gnostics taught, "No, the that is not the key here. It's your direct relationship with Yeshua or Jesus that's important." So, yes. is that something you agree with? Totally. Yes, I do. I I think that it's not what you know; it's who you know that matters in this universe. Okay, and I know him. I can never deny my experiences. It's not, I, I believe what I believe, not because I was told to, because I went through a period of time where I was very disenchanted with the churches. Okay, so I went looking for fellowship and I was, um, uh, you know, I was faced with a lot of rejection and anti-Semitism because they could not, uh, they couldn't accept me. Okay. Uh, 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 there are a lot of Christians, let me just say, that are open and spiritual. Okay. And they're, they're filled with love and, and they want to do good. And they fill with, they follow the Holy Spirit. They accept Jews and they accept Israel. And that's my tribe. The, the religious spirit, um, crucified Yeshua. So, you know, fast forward 2010, February 7th of 2010, I had a near death experience, which completely changed everything for me. Okay. Because by that time I was, I had left, I was doing astrology. I had left the churches. I was so disenchanted. I had had enough, but I never denied who he was. I never, I never let go of my faith. I never stopped talking to him. I never stopped the relationship, okay? But I stopped going to churches and I stopped communicating with Christians because they couldn't accept me, okay? Because I was on a different path. And they judge everything. They demonize everyone and they judge everything. So I was hurt. I was wounded. One thing led to another. Long story short, I end up uh, you know, I, 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 I was traumatized by uh, these neighbors and, and I, I couldn't sleep and, and I ended up with adrenal exhaustion and I ended up with a heart attack and I was, and I ended up in the, in the uh, emergency room and I blacked out. And the time that I was blacked out has nothing to do with how long I was on the other side. And I, first I saw my mother, who's been deceased since 1967. Then I saw my father, who was deceased since 2007. And I thought, oh, my God, I must be dead. And then I had a hand pull me, and it was Yeshua. And they disappeared, and it was just him and I. That was it, walking on an emerald green field with a bluebird sky behind us. And, we, and I held his hand, and I, to me, he felt like my father. Like he was my real father and I've known him forever. And he talked to me and there was a lot of download. Okay. And it's taken me years to process it and publish it. And that's basically how who's who in the cosmic zoo came about because I was putting this book together on who are the ETs and the aliens. Cause I was teaching these classes in Florida in the 1990s, ETs, aliens or angels. And I was, and I had this whole book put together. I just, you know, 
I had a, a, a young daughter and, and, and I, you know, didn't really have time. And when she got more independent, I started getting more into it. And he told me, uh, he said, I want you to rewrite your book with me in it. So I did. So now it's turned into six books. He's in, he's mentioned in all of them, but you know, uh, it's controversial because Christian, I have a lot of Christians who do follow and they understand and they appreciate my work because it helps them to connect dots because the church is not giving those dots to them. Okay. Well, I now want to get to this idea of the, the father or the creation, because on the one hand, uh, you've got the Bible that has a narrative about the creation of humanity, but we've learned that the Bible to a certain extent is derivative of an older set of scriptures or, well, texts, the cuneiform texts of the Sumerians. And the Sumerians have a creation story, but they don't have just one God creating humanity. They have a multiplicity of God of gods called the Anunnaki, and there's an assembly that gives the approval for the creation of this human hybrid species that would then become workers to help the Anunnaki mine and, and do other things. So how do you reconcile that? Or how how important are those cuneiform texts or the Sumerian version of creation vis-a-vis -vis what you've learned through your biblical studies? Well, it's all connected, okay? It's like um, the, the Bible that we have today, the Bible canon that we know today is... The book of Genesis is basically a continuation of the Enuma Elish and the Anunnaki cuneiform tablets. So if you go to slide 51 and 53, um, so uh, the father of the Anunnaki gods was called Anu, okay? And Anu was... And then if you see slide 53, it goes even more specific. Um, yes. So uh, Anu was the father of like 50 different gods. So he had sons. Enlil and Enkai are known in, in the um, mythology of the Anunnaki. But here's something about linguistics. So en, Enlil means, En is Lord, and Lil means air and Kai and is Lord and Kai means water. So Enlil was the Lord of the air and Enkai was the Lord of the water. Okay. So these are not, I have proved in my uh, um, writings that, that these are merely titles. Okay. They're not necessarily uh, names. And just like the title Pharaoh or King or president or even God, there's many different people and beings that can fit those roles and those titles. It's not just one, okay? So even in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the English translation of the Hebrew Bible does not do the Hebrew Bible any justice in terms of discerning who is the cast of characters in the Old Testament, which I unpack in my second book, Who is God? Because... There's the English version only has the titles. They do not mention any names. 
okay? And they're also uh, mistranslated from what is plural and what is singular, okay? And this is something I studied with Zachariah Sitchin, and this is something I agree with him on, He's because he, he was a linguist, he knew five languages fluently. And the word Elohim in Hebrew is plural for gods with an S, okay? So Hebrew is a very specific language, unlike English, right? English, we have all these, you know, exceptions to the rules, right? Um, Hebrew, there's 22 letters. They, they're fashioned after the 22 major constellations. They're considered uh, fire letters. They're pictures of the constellations. And it's a language of physics, okay? It's either singular, plural, masculine, or feminine. That's it, okay? And so everything comes out of a root of three letters, which is like the root, and then that root creates like a tree of words, all right? So, so in the Old Testament, you have a whole cast of characters, which, like I said, picks up where the Enuma Elish leaves off the Elohim or the gods, plural, which includes the good and the bad gods. Because in the book, I prove in the book of Job, it says, oh, and the Elohim went up to uh, the, the courts of heaven, okay? And Satan was among them, okay? So I proved that one of the most famous stories of the Bible, which, you know, two of the world's, you know, major religions hinge their whole belief system on is the story of Abraham. Okay. And Abraham, it says Abraham heard a voice. Didn't say whose voice it was. Okay. Everybody assumes it was God. But yet prior to that, there were all these, you know, rules about don't do this and don't do that. But God told him to go do the very thing that he was against, which was sacrificing his children. The, the, the Lord basically has said multiple times, do not sacrifice your children through the fire or to Moloch, which was one of the pagan gods that demanded uh, the, the child sacrifice. And the voice said to him, well, if you, if you love him so much, go sacrifice your miracle baby, because that's who Isaac was. I mean, he was given to him late in life. Sarah was, you know, you know the story. She wasn't fertile and God gave, and she was probably menopausal and God gave her a child. It was, a, he was a miracle. Okay, so he goes and he says, okay, you're going to take this miracle baby and, 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 and burn him now. Which God was he listening to? It wasn't his God. It was the other God. It was the counterfeit. And this is a very important story because everyone on earth today, okay, has to discern between the voices they hear in their heads. Okay. And, and how can you know which voice you're listening to? Well, this is what I unpack is that one, first of all, the, the father God, okay. He does not test. He does not tempt. He says that. Okay. So he's not going to tell you to go do something that he tells you you shouldn't do like, like sacrifice your baby in a fire. Okay, so that wasn't the Lord who told him that, okay, because it didn't have his name even in the, uh, the writings in Genesis. The, the name of the Lord, which is Yahuwah, comes up at the very end of the story, 
when he sends one of his angels to save Isaac and provides the ram to provide for the sacrifice. So, you know, as a Jew, I'm always thinking, why? What is it with the blood? What is it with the blood? Why, why, why do they have to make these blood sacrifice, sacrifice babies, sacrifice animals? What is it with this blood? And, and whose blood? It says in the Bible that when, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was the propitiation for the sins of humankind. And he paid the price, the ultimate price of his blood. Who did he pay? And Christians will say, oh, he paid the father. Why would the father want blood? Okay, so that wasn't the father. I proved this through linguistics and also through the scriptures. Okay, the word of God. Okay, because it shows that there's a whole cast of characters of gods and they're, and they're in com competition. They're, they're competing with one another over us, over humankind, over the planet itself, over who gets to rule. And, you know, uh, 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 hopefully we can get into what's going on in Israel over ancient space portals. That's why Jerusalem is such a burden to the world. It says so that Jerusalem will be the burden stone to the whole world in the end. And that's how it all ends right there. So why is that? First of all, he did not pay his blood to the father. The, the blood sacrifice went to the bloodthirsty God. Okay. The God of this world who demands blood. He want because because that's that's the reptilian energy. That's the 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 rep the reptilians are carnivorous. They live off of the energy that comes off of our blood. So whether you want to talk about adrenochrome, that kind of thing, or just the energy that comes from us, okay, our soul energy, because it's not just blood, they're after our soul energy, okay, which is like they call louche. So, so, so that's who he paid. He didn't pay the, the heavenly father. He paid this, the God of this world, who we call Satan. He has many, many names, but just for conversation's sake, Satan is a Hebrew word, which literally translates to adversary, okay, or rebel. So in my books, I pluralize it because there's many of them. There's a whole group of them. Okay, and yes, it's a hierarchy and there's a top one, too, but he Lucifer Satan is who is holding on to this earth. And this, you, sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to uh, understand the relationship between the Anunnaki, especially Enki and Enlil, and the Draconians when it came to this multiplicity of gods that appear in the Bible whether we're talking the Old Testament or the New Testament. So who's who? Enki, Enlil, and the Draconians. You know, can you maybe yes. Try and yes. explain where they fit in? Yes. Okay. Well, um, so I traced through linguistics, through words, through language, okay, that Enlil became Ilya, who was also known as Ilyat, who, who also ended up as Allah. Okay, so when people say, well, who is Enlil today? That's Allah. Oh, do we have a book on him? Yes, it's called the Quran. Okay, so he is the bloodthirsty God. 
okay? He wants blood. He's not compassionate to humans, okay? So he will create all these, like they have Sharia law, the jihad, all this stuff that justifies and celebrates the mutilation and, and the killing and the murdering and the rape of humans, okay? Because that's how they extract our soul energy, through rape, through murdering, through terror, through, through horrific events. And this is who he has been all along. There's nothing new under the sun, nothing, okay? Everything that, has, that is happening now has happened before, literally, okay? Even in the way they do things. Okay, it's old stuff. And just 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 if I can just insert one thing here. So what was done on October 7th to the Israelis by the Hamas? And by the way, the word Hamas is in the Bible 50 times. And it's a Hebrew word which means violence. Okay? So no coincidence that they name themselves Hamas. But anyway, so October 7th was a horrific event, okay? It was a second Holocaust. So the difference between what was done in Nazi Germany by the Nazis to the Jews versus what the Hamas is doing to Israel, the, the, the difference was, besides the demonic possession that causes people to want to do stuff like that, was that the Nazis, to be fair, they, they had some shame, okay? They got drunk, they, they took drugs, to forget about what they were ordered to do, okay? They went through a period of deep guilt after the war, right? This is history, okay? The Hamas have absolutely no shame whatsoever. In fact, they celebrate what they're doing, okay? They brag about it. They, they, they call their fathers and say, oh, I just raped 10 Israelis. I just killed 10 Jews. Aren't you proud of me, dad? Okay, this really is happening. Okay, so that's the difference of, of, a, of a spirit, okay, that causes somebody to want to do that and to enjoy it. Okay, so that's, you know, if we're going to discern between the two holocausts, the second one, and, 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 you know, unfortunately, I don't have such good news for you or, or your audience, because what happened on October 7th is going to happen again. Okay, because that's the, the end time prophecies are, are unfolding like a script. And what happened on October 7th fulfilled, we can check off one of the prophecies. Okay, uh, well, I mean, that, that is really fascinating. And we will come back to this Enki and where he fits in. But let's kind of go back to what, let's address this issue of October 7th, because uh, I, I had a conversation with L.A. Mazzulli about this. And, and he, he said that this incident and what we're seeing in Israel-Palestine is a fulfillment of pro prophecy. But yes. what I believe is, is happening is that events are being shaped by these uh, deep state actors, the, we call them the Cabal, the Illuminati, that, that they, they contrived for the Hamas to like uh, be able to break free of that kind of border area because, and, and Seymour Hirsch talked about this, he said that two out of the three Israeli army battalions guarding 
the Gaza Strip border were withdrawn by Netanyahu to the West Bank and there was only one battalion left. So they were just overwhelmed when this when this happened. And so and there's a lot of people that believe that this this is actually a contrived event. So it, so my question is, is this truly a fulfillment of biblical prophecy or is the cabal using biblical prophecy as a template to manufacture an end times conflict? Well, those are all great questions. So perhaps you can go to uh, slide uh, 57, 58, uh, and to 70 and 71. I just spoke about slide 71, but yes. Okay. So I've been getting the same question from other people I've been doing interviews with. I know this isn't what you want to hear, but it is the truth, okay? Based on the history, based on the prophecy, and based on what is to come, what we're living through, okay? And that is, this is an ancient battle, okay? And it is between these 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 two competing gods, you know, in the Sumerian, you want to call it Enlil and Enkai, but the, the God of Israel is not Enlil and it's not Enkai, okay? Even though a lot of people like to attach Enkai to the God of Israel because he, he saved them, he's, he's compassionate, but there's multiple gods in the, in the Old Testament that are, and, and everybody thinks it's one. They're not, okay? There is another God who is the God of Israel, who we call Yahuwah, okay? Who is, who is more uh, similar to the father uh, of the Anunnaki, which is Anu, okay? He is the top one. And how do I know this? And how does anyone know this? Because he has the power to punish the other gods. And this was evidenced by the last time Nibiru came around the earth, which was during the Exodus. Okay. So the book of Exodus in, in the Old Testament, uh, which is the pass, basically the Passover story, uh, Exodus 12, 12, where he punishes the Egyptian gods. Okay. So suffice to say, in terms of uh, planet Earth's religious wars, we let's just put it in two columns monotheism and polytheism okay so we can go back to ancient egypt okay and see this dichotomy okay when akhenaten became pharaoh okay and i'm sure you know this because of your your work with the ets that akhenaten was a little odd looking okay he was an extraterrestrial he had that really long elongated head he was tall he had this bulgy belly he didn't really come from earth but he was put in on the earth for one purpose and that was to insert monotheism okay the the belief in one god that everyone is under one okay versus all these pagan gods and polytheistic religions. And that was done, and he did fulfill his purpose, okay, which was to insert it into the Akashic record of planet Earth so that it can be remembered later on, okay? And then we know that's, you know, we have Moses, you know, who was all about one God, you know, Judaism came about, which is all about one God. Um, Zarothia, uh, Zarathustra, 
in ancient Persia, he was all about one God, okay, the sun God. Um, so, so we have monotheism versus uh, polytheism, paganism, okay, and this is a this is a thing, all right. So this is one of the reasons why the ancient Israelites lost the land, the first diaspora, because who owns the land of Israel? The God of Israel does. Okay, it's his ancient space portal, and this was uh, uncovered by uh, Zachariah Sitchin um, in in his uh, interpretation of the um, the tablets because of this uh, the the temples that were built on these space portals. Okay, that they they were actually um, spaceports, and then when they left, they built temples over it and worshipped the gods that came and went. You know this, right? Mm. We've you, you've talked about this. So, so that's a key piece in this end time prophecy is who owns this land and why are they, uh, why is every nation, every empire, let's put it that way, um, fighting over that ancient space portal. Okay. So, so, you know, um, Well, I just wanted to kind of like, uh, while you're uh, thinking of the next slide, I just wanted to maybe clarify something yes. from the Sumerian text. Uh, Anu was not the kind of like we think of a king or the or the presiding god uh, in terms of uh, like a, like a absolute monarchy. Anu was not like that. He presided over. He was the king, but there was an assembly. The uh, Unuma Elish and the Atrahasis talk about the assembly, that that was the one that mandated uh, decisions to be made. So it wasn't, Anu was more like a, a figurehead, if you like, but the assembly of the gods was the key in making decisions. And so this, so if we translate that over to the Sumerian texts and to what was happening in the like with Abraham, because Abraham was a Sumerian, then that would suggest yes, that, that that this was that this supreme god is really like an assembly. Well, so, in the in the Old Testament, no. the word assembly. Uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to insert this because it, it's important. Is the council? So the council of gods, or the courts of heaven, where the council of gods met and had their assembly, is all. Um, detailed in the Old Testament. In, in fact, the book of Job starts off with that. Job 1.1 and Job 2.1 uh, is all about the courts of heaven, the assembly, and, 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 and even in the book of Revelation, there's the 24 elders who meet as an assembly in the courts of heaven to the most high God. Okay, so in Hebrew, he, there's many names and I've I published all of them. There, there's, there's like two dozen, three, there's like 30 odd names. Okay. So there's El Elyon, which is like the almighty. Okay. Uh, and, and, and this is why the Jews, they don't say the names of God because they got punished for all, for paganism. Okay. And, and there's curses, there's curses in the Bible on these different things. Okay, so like the high priest in the book of Ma um, Malachi, there's a high priest curse because it was up to the high priests 
to be the intermediary between the people and the most high God. And they stopped saying his name. So he, so, so they were, they were cursed for not esteeming his name. And there's about 36 scriptures, commandments, actually, which I published that, that the Lord commands you to say his name. Okay. To memorialize his name, to thank his name, to praise his name, to remember his name, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And they stopped doing that. So today's Jews which drives me a little crazy. They don't write the word God out. They go G-D. I'm sure you've seen that, right? Well, God is not a name. It's a title. But they're so, they've they've grown into this superstition about it because they got punished for it, okay, by saying the the name uh, of God in vain or by following after these other gods. So now they don't say anything and they just call him the name. Okay, which in Hebrew is Hashem. So when anybody refers to the God of Israel, they, you know, and not anybody, when Jews do, they call him Hashem or Adonai, which is Lord, another title. They're not names. Okay, yet he has all these names that describe who he is, that is this top figure, the, the top of the, of, of the hierarchy, okay, the Father, the Almighty, the God of gods. Okay, and I prove this in in my second book, Who is God, because it's all about the linguistics. Okay, and then you can have that understanding of like who is who. And if you want to compare to the Sumerian, I, I think that the, uh, the, the God Anu is probably closer. Okay. I know that you 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 know you've had a lot of people say oh, it's Enlil, you know, because all oh, these horrible things happen, or Enkai because he's compassionate. They're sons, okay? They're they're competing sons and competing deities. And even according to the Anunnaki uh, story, they Enlil had a son, Marduk. Sitchin talked more about Marduk than anybody else. Right, and Mar- right. Marduk was the lord of Nibiru. Marduk was the lord of Babylon. Mar- Marduk it, it was even seen as the savior of the Jews, okay? But these are uh, sons. They're not the top god well um i know that there have been some scholars uh, who have looked at these questions uh paul wallace and mauro bellino have uh, looked at some of these ancient texts and they identified a, a point in uh the history of uh, the, the jewish religion where around 600 bc there was a a, a kind of like a reinterpretation of the texts, which originally talked about the kind of like the polytheistic gods, like the multiplicity of gods, the multiplicity of, of Elohim. And then it went to this emphasis on one supreme God. And so I think their point was that um, that the original uh, faith that the, that the uh, ancient Jews followed was very much a recognition of a multiplicity of gods, of a multiplicity of Elohim, and of the existence of a council, and that that the identification of one supreme God was really this kind of like creation of this monotheistic faith that uh, some religious Jewish scholars wanted to impose on the earlier kind of multiplicity belief systems that were in existence. So, so yeah, so I think uh, it w- would be fair to say that 
Paul Wallace and Mauro Bellino would agree uh, with what you're saying uh, as far as the multiplicity of gods. But when it comes to the all high one God, I I wonder whether they would agree with that or argue that what we're really talking about is a primordial force like the Abzul in the Sumerian text or the, uh, yeah, like the Absu uh, or the Tiamat, like the all, rather than supreme personalities like Anu. Well, you know, the whole foundation of Judaism is all about one God. Okay. So like every, you know, and, and, even though what happened, they got punished, okay? This is, the, like, there were two diasporas, okay? So the first one, after the Babylonian um, uh, captivity, they they lost the land. They were given the land of Israel, and it was separated into two kingdoms, the north and the south. And what ended that was because they were worshiping other gods. It's that simple. Okay, they were punished for going into sort of paganism. Okay, and looking going after different gods, and and that that's the Old Testament drama. I mean, it's all there. Okay, then they came back. Okay, and then they the, the Romans basically uh, took over, and that was the second diaspora, which happened in AD seventy. Okay, which was after they destroyed the second temple. So, so they went all over the world. And in my fourth book, Covenants, I traced the, the lost tribes of Israel and how they ended up all over the world. And, and even in Japan, Afghanistan, China, Europe, Africa, America, England, okay, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim are believed to have settled in England and America. And of course, you know that Joseph had the double portion, so he gave it to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Point is, is that they were punished, okay? Jews have been punished for paganism, which is why today's Judaism is very monotheistic. I mean, they believe in one God, one God only, and every song and prayer is to that, you know, the Shema Yisrael, all is on one, okay? So suffice to say, monotheism kind of won in Judaism, all right? But we are not, I mean, when people say, oh, like the like the Pope, okay? Oh, well, we're all under one God. Not really, because the Muslims are not following the God of Israel. They're following after Allah, Okay, who is Enlil? And this is an old dysfunctional family story, okay, between, you know, the jealousy that took place. This is an ancient, it's like a, it's a generational curse, okay, between Ishmael and Isaac, okay? So, so the Ishmaelites became the Arabs, okay, and, and, and everyone who goes after Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob became the Jews. In fact, the word Jews came from the, the tribe Yehuda, which was one of the 12 tribes. Okay. So, so they're ancient. So, so here, here's my uh, brief synopsis, just to kind of like pull it together. Because, you know, in my presentation, I have all this stuff about gene wars and racism. Okay. Well, why is this planet stuck in this? 
I mean, what, it, we want to have disclosure with ETs. Why does the, uh, what, why did the Galactic Federation say no to, when they told Chaim Eshed, you know, we, we can't tell people, we can't, the, the public isn't ready. Why? Why aren't they ready? Because everyone is stuck in racial wars here. Now anti-Semitism is back up again to the same levels as it was during World War II. And, uh, you know, people are still hating on each other. And how are they going to accept E.T.? How are they going to accept someone who's different than them if they can't even accept people who look and speak the same as they do? We, we're, we're all humans here. Now, whether we're all from the same place, that's another story, okay? But we are all humans, and I believe that this is the reason why the, the, the top god, if you want to put it that way, ordered this planet to, to be this kind of playpen of all these different races together so that we can learn how to get along. This is the place to do it. What happens here on Earth Get, extrapolates into the universe. How how can Earth be ready to receive ET when they can't accept each other? Well, you know, on that topic of Haim Eshed, I think it's very important. Uh, I think what he mentioned, and you're, you're absolutely correct that uh, he was uh, he he said that uh, President Trump asked the Galactic Federation to reveal themselves and they said that we weren't ready but i think what what that suggests is that you know there is this federation that there is this assembly that is making key decisions about the earth and that and that's a kind of like corroboration more of say the sumerian version of history mm -hmm. as opposed to the biblical version of history the biblical version is saying you know there's one almighty father that controls makes decisions whereas the sumerian is like no there's an assembly of gods they look over Earth, they make the decisions. So Haim Eshed's comment, I think, does point in that direction, that there is this galactic federation that is monitoring progress on our planet and is saying, okay, you know, this is what you need to do, humans, if you want to be ready for us to reveal themselves. So, yeah, is the, are we on the verge of that or is there something um, that we have to go through first? Yes, uh, to the latter. There's something we have to go through first. Um, so it's it's a purging. Um, you know, according to the end time prophecies, I, I just want to say I agree with the, the council of gods because it's in the Bible. OK, like I said, it's uh, it's written in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. So you can call we can name we can create names for all of that. And we can call them the Galactic Federation, the Council of Gods, the Council of this. There's 24 elders that is re is referenced by, uh, you know, in the book of Revelation that, that basically is under the king of the universe. So Jews pray to the king of the universe. Every single prayer starts off with, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe. Who is this king? Okay, so that's what I'm questioning and hopefully unpacking because that's who is returning. That's who's coming through that portal. That same space portal where he left, he's going to return on the Mount of Olives, okay, at, 
And and when is he going to return? After. So so it says the, the the prophecy says that all these nations there's a there's the revived Roman Empire. So if you go to uh, slide 61, you'll see this is this is Daniel's vision, okay, which is the end time prophecy about the final empire, okay, which is the revived Roman Empire, which all the states, all the countries that used to be part of the Roman Empire are now Islamic, okay? Every single one of them is a Muslim nation, okay? So I basically, uh, if you if you look into a slide, uh, is it uh, 60? I'm sorry, which one did I give you? I'm That's sorry, yeah, 60, there it is. So uh, you've got, you know, the Babylonian, the Media Persian, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. So... Persia is today's Iran. They changed their name, okay? There are some uh, of the countries that are mentioned in the Old Testament that are the same names, uh, like Arabia is now just Saudi Arabia because it's run by the Saud family. Um, so we have uh, Kush, uh, which is, um, you know, ancient Kush, which is today's Ethiopia, called, uh, uh, called Sudan today. Uh, Put, which is today's Libya, um, uh, some referred to now as Somalia, which was ancient Gomer. Um, uh, you know, so all of these names I, I've, give, I've published here, okay, Edom is Jordan, the, the Palestinians, they get their name from, from the Philistines, okay, Philistia is that whole piece of land that we call today the Gaza Strip. Okay, and nobody wanted it. So in the 1973 war, the agreements between Israel and Egypt and Israel and Jordan, Egypt didn't want it. Jordan didn't want it. They gave it. They said, you you control it to Israel. So Israel has had to deal with this there. Nobody wants nobody wants to to govern them or deal with them. Okay, and why, first of all, you, we have to understand where these names come from. So the ancient Philistines were ancient arch enemies of ancient Israel. Okay, so when the Romans took over Israel, they called it that to basically humiliate the Jews. Okay, they named it after their arch enemy, which is where we get the name Palestine. There is no nation of Palestine, though. Okay, so the, 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 the end time prophecy says that, that there are going to be 10 nations that come against Israel. Okay, and, and, and that is basically World War III. And when Israel stands alone, this is very important, because right now Israel has America, but not 100%. Something happens where America does not continue to support Israel because the prophecy says that when Israel is standing alone, meaning no one, the whole world ends up hating on Israel. The hatred grows, okay? All these nations come against this place. They wanna wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They wanna delete the Jews. They wanna genocide the Jews all over again. But the God of Israel has not allowed that to happen. There has always throughout history been a pattern where he saves a remnant, one third. And that's exactly what the end time prophecy says, that two thirds are going to perish 
from the Antichrist. Now, isn't it interesting that the uh, end time prophecy about the biblical Antichrist matches like, like exactly to the Islamic belief in the Mahdi. So the Islamic Messiah, if you will, or they call him a Mahdi, matches the biblical Antichrist. Okay, so what you said earlier, Michael, about uh, isn't this some sort of like self-fulfilled or they're trying to do this? Yes, but not from the Israeli viewpoint, from the Islamic viewpoint, because they believe this is what's in their book and this is what's in their prophecy. They believe that their Mahdi will come when the world is in a state of chaos. So what are they doing? They're creating chaos to bring the Mahdi, okay? And guess who that Mahdi is going to be? The biblical Antichrist. So he is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire. He is going to be the only one that is going to, because every politician is, is always like it's one of their uh, checklists is to try to make peace in the Middle East, but nobody ever succeeds. This guy is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire, and he's going to be the only one that's going to bring peace. He's going to end World War III. And World War III is not Armageddon. Armageddon is the final battle, okay? World War III is going to happen before that. He ends World War III by making a peace treaty between Israel's enemies and Israel. And he gives them permission to build the third temple. And they worship him because they are chomping at the bit, the, the religious Jews. Okay, so Israel, here's another very important piece. I need to tell you this. So right before October 7th, Israel was as divided as they've ever been. Okay, just like America, where everyone is divided over Democrat, Republican, you know, uh, truth, lie, all this stuff. They were so divided. They were divided between being secular and being religious, between right, between left. And they're all about unity. That's how they've gotten so far. But they were falling apart. Okay, politically and socially. All right. So this is this is a very important piece because in in my first uh, book, which I just republished, I, I added twenty more chapters. One of them is called the Machiavellian Alien Agenda, and you know about Mac what is Machiavellian, which is are you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay. He he just went black. Um, his screen just went. So Machiavellian is to divide and conquer, and and that is when another force can come and take over. And that's exactly what happened prior to October 7th. That's why they got attacked. That's why, and the intelligence that they heard, that they did receive, that something was coming down, they did not believe it because they didn't believe that, that the Hamas could even pull it off. They, it, it, was, it was a level of arrogance where they felt like, oh no, they could never do that. And then it happened. So they did receive some wind of what was happening and they were so divided, okay? And that's how the enemy got in because they were weak, weak from being divided. And that's an important piece for all of us to learn, okay? Because the same thing could easily happen here in America. Well, I wanted to bring up this image that I thought 
kind of like summarises where we're at at the moment, which is uh, this uh, Gog and Magog war. And we've already talked about this, you know. Yes. Is, is Is this actually prophecy being fulfilled or is someone manufacturing this? When you look at this picture of the Gog and Magog war, I mean, it shows this alliance of nations that are going to be attacking Israel in the end times. And what's really fascinating, if you look at all those nations, I mean, all those nations have been destabilized uh, by the United States or by the deep state over the last 20 years. You, you had in 2001, you had uh, Wesley Clark, a, a four-star general, former four-star general, identifying these diff- a, a series of six countries that were all being destabilized by the United States. And then you had this contrived war in Russia, Ukraine, again, to destabilize that area. So, so it does look like what we are in the midst of right now is, you know, whether it's fulfilling prophecy or whether it's contrived, it really is happening. And so, you know, that makes the scenario you described very disturbing that um, at at some point this is going to follow through into a kind of hot kinetic war where Israel will be attacked by a multiplicity of nations. And, yeah, that's going to be terrible for everyone in that area. Yes, yes. Uh, If you can go to slide 62, because those uh, unpack these names and talks about the ancient Tubal. Well, Tubal became in Istanbul, which is Turkey. Okay. So it, it was in our lifetime where Turkey went from being secular. It was a great place to go visit and have vacations and look at ancient ruins. And now they're Islamic. Okay. In fact, they're the only Islamic country right now that allows the Muslim Brotherhood to meet because the ancient Egyptians got rid of them. That's why they don't want to deal with uh, the, the Palestinians because the Hamas, it's all part of the Muslim Brotherhood. So they meet in Turkey. Erdogan wants to be the leader of the Islamic Caliphate. And it's no coincidence that the Bible talks about 10 toes on that that ancient statue, which is the revived Roman Empire, which are these 10 nations that are all now Islamic. So you have Persia, which is Iran, you have Turkey, okay? And then of course, the, the Ezekiel 38 talks about Rosh. So a lot of um, Christian Bible scholars immediately think Rosh is Russia, okay? But Rosh is Hebrew for head. So it talks about Gog uh, 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 as being the leader of a great army that attacks the land of Israel, and, uh, and he comes from the land of Magog. So, so Magog, uh, Meshech, and Tubal are Turkey, okay? And a lot of uh, Russia, um, I'm sorry, a lot of Christians believe that it's Russia, but that doesn't make them wrong because Russia does play a part. They get involved. But there's two things going on here. There's a religious war, okay, which is between Islam. They want Sharia. They want the whole world to be under Sharia law. That's what they want, okay? Th- this is no conspiracy. This is no secret. They come out and say it. This is their goal. They want to get rid of all the Jews all over the planet. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And they, they, they hate Americans too, okay? And women. No secret, no conspiracy. 
However, Russia gets involved because Russia is kind of in bed with Iran. And Russia doesn't care about the religious peace. Russia cares about one thing, technology. And Israel is one of the leaders on the planet for innovative technology. The Israelis know how to desalinate water from seawater. The Israelis devised a system how to pull water out of the air, pulling water vapors out of the air and creating water. They, they have all kinds of exotic, sophisticated weaponry, which is probably why Chaim Eshed, who is the, the, the top uh, space and security chief of Israel, wrote the book that he wrote about all of this and knows about the Galactic Federation because they have a lot of exotic technologies. Okay, And when you asked me earlier about what I saw in Israel, I saw ships coming and going in the Negev Desert. Okay, in, in 1978 and 1979, and, and there was nothing there. There's nothing there. I mean, the, the, I lived in the desert. It was, it was miles and miles. You had to take a bus and, and, and ride for an hour to get to the closest city. There was nothing there. So, so they, whatever's going on, okay, is coming from underground. Okay, and this is this is my main message that I tell everybody is that's why we call it the alien presence because they're here, they 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 live inside the planet. The planet is separated by eleven dimensions. Okay, about five of them are mentioned in the Bible. Okay, so the rest is like you know breakaway civilizations, different groups in different places. The end time prophecy is very specific that it says that that the that there's going to be an alien invasion and it's coming from underground it's coming from inside the earth now there's two things going on here okay besides the war of gog and magog and there's two wars of gog and magog there's the world war 3 one and then there's another one that happens much later but i question this i don't know for sure but i, I my question is Who's to say that this guy, Gog, okay, is not some ancient alien giant, okay, that's the Bible says speaks a foreign language, comes out of the furthest part of the north. We know that there's this big hole in the North Pole, right? You know that. I know you've written and talked about it. Admiral Byrd ended up in it. The there's 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 holes. I mean, even Forget even even just put that aside for a minute. The whole planet has portals. This is how Elijah, you know, was able to. It says the Bible. Oh, he ran very very fast, and he got to Jezreel before Ahab, and Ahab had to go through a thunderstorm and mud and all that kind of stuff. And and Elijah ends up dry as a bone and ready to ready to rock and roll. How did he do that? He went through a portal. How how does Yeshua turn up? Well, first of all, he's alive. So he can turn up anywhere, anytime, and he walks in and out of portals. He is known for shape-shifting. He is known for coming through walls, coming in and out of windows, disappearing, appearing, all of that. How is that possible? Through portals. So Israel is an ancient portal. Jerusalem is an ancient space portal, but the land of Israel has multiple portals. There's a, a story here that I shared because I worked with um, uh, Barry Hamish, and 
Uh, he's passed now, but uh, he had given me permission to share his research, which was from the 1990s. So modern day Israel of all these sightings of giants. Okay. So oh, let me see, which slide is that on? Um, so. Well, while we're on the, oh, sorry, sorry, you tell me what slide and we'll talk about that. Um, well, while we're finding that, um, maybe you can, uh, when you talk about giants, uh, explain whether or not there are good giants and bad giants. Okay, so uh, slide 64 um, talks about my, uh, just a really brief, it's in my book, the whole, the whole thing is in the book. But basically, these sightings, and there was a UFO crash and burn on the beach, Shikmona Beach. Now, Shikmona Beach is, is where Elijah's cave used to be. Now, I, I call Elijah a frequent flyer. So Elijah and Enoch were the two that never died. They ascended multiple times. They came and went several times. Okay, so let's suffice to call them frequent flyers, right? They never died. They were taken up. They were raptured. They ascended, however you want to word it, okay? And that was Elijah's cave. So the ancient portal of Elijah is now was, was being reactivated by these three UFO spacecraft burns into the sands of Shikmona Beach in, in April. So it happened three times, September 28th, 1987, June 6th, 1988, April 27th, 1987. Okay, and then there were witnesses who not only watched the UFO explode into thousands of shards over Shikmona Beach, the shards were analyzed, they were pure magne magnesium, and then they witnessed these giants showing up around the caves. Okay. And, 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 and they would show up and they would disappear. So that to me says that, and I think it's very on, very much on the same level as um, Bigfoot. Okay. Like here in Colorado, there was a Bigfoot sighting this summer from a, from a, a train uh, outside of Aspen. I can't say if it was real or not. I think it was. The guy was just taking a video of the train and there he was in the so Bigfoot comes and goes in and out of portals. So and Bigfoot isn't exactly small. There's different levels of giants. So, you know, I'm five, five foot five on a good day. <laughs> and you know, seven feet is a giant to me. There's 10 feet, 15 feet, 35 foot, and 40 feet. Okay, so so you know the the temples of Luxor show giants. The the Anunnaki were giants. The uh, the Nephilim, which you know is a word that means fallen or to fall or miscreant or reject, they got created because these giants mated with Earth women, and then they created smaller giants. Okay, that were miscreants and monsters. So there's different levels of giants. They are seeing them. They saw they have they've been showing up and disappearing, which tells me that they are living inside the earth. 
that they are able to access a portal, show up on the surface briefly, and then disappear. So the whole earth is, is portaled out. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with that. I think that there are portals all over the earth and uh, different beings use those portals. I think uh, you're right about the Anunnaki and being giants and the Nephilim, the fallen angels also being giants. Um, I, I, I think so. Unfortunately, I think sometimes I've, I've found uh, some biblical scholars, well, uh, evangelical Christians to be more accurate. No, I, I can't speak, I don't know about Jews, uh, Orthodox Jews, but that they kind of like take the position that, you know, all giants are evil. The only good giant is the dead giant. And um, I, I think that I mean, giants are just like humans. I mean, you've got your good ones, you've got your bad ones, and 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 we've got to be discerning. And you teach. Uh, I know that's something you believe in. So, yes. yeah. I mean, are there are there good giants? I know some of the uh, people or contactees I'm working with say that there are some sleeping giants who are very very good. Yeah, you know, that you know, like Toth or Kukul Khan or Ningish Zida that these are, or Quetzalcoatl, that these are positive giants with a lot of science, a lot of knowledge and technology that they want to share and that they, they're in stasis chambers and they're going to be waking up. Uh, so, yeah, so well, you want to that is that. that. I agree. That is part of the end-time prophecy about the, the awakening of these ancient giants. Who, which ones are going to get woken up? I don't know, okay? But... If you go to the next three slides, okay, in fact, the next one right after this, number 65, okay, so, yeah, well, those are real giants, what you just went through. Okay, we can go to that. So here you have written in stone, okay, you can see that there these were obviously giants and then there was a, a regular size human and this is uh in the in the bottom there that scripture i mentioned to you earlier about uh bringing judgment and punishing the gods of egypt okay and that that whole scripture in hebrew has to do with the god of gods the top one okay because he's the only one that has the power to punish the little gods so that was the scripture I was telling you about, which is Exodus 12, 12. And these are statues, you know, on the, on the second side. But if you go to the slide after that, um, those are all the words that come out of the Bible in Hebrew. So Anakim, which, you know, is uh, Anak, the sons of Anak. And this is the children of Anak and the Anunnaki, the father of Anak. And they dwelled in the in the south of what we call today Palestine, which was Philistia. And the the the, the famous Bible story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a, a Philistine. He was a giant. Okay, so there's a dot connected there. Um, so well, I just know, wanted to kind of throw in something here and get your reaction to that, and that is that. Uh, this was something that L.A. Mazzulli said, and I just want to get your opinion. In his view, uh, there are giants helping Hamas in the underground tunnel system of Gaza. What What do you think of that? I I have no uh, direct evidence of that. I I I'm not. I could believe it if it happened. I don't know. I really don't know to be honest. I 
Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's not far-fetched because they're underground. You know, in, in my first book, I shared um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, okay? So he went into a cave, you know, when he went, he did his, he did some work in a cave and he, he had a dark, he had a sketch, he sketched them and he saw them and he, and I published it. So we can all agree that there are giants living inside the earth, whether they show up in which cave or if they showed up to the Hamas. One thing I can agree with, the Hamas are totally possessed by this ancient demon spirits. Okay, the Amalekites, okay, the Philistines, I mean, put any name you want on it, but what they're doing is not human, okay? And you can't even call it animal. It's an insult to animals because animals don't do stuff like that. You know, animals kill to eat or defend their, their young. This is torture and trying to get, you know, suck energy out of the human soul through torture and terror and all these things. It's sick, sick stuff, okay? So whether they're evil giants, I don't know. But yes, to your other question about, yes, there are, you know, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that these are people that existed. These are actual photographs from the last 100, 120 years and even recent, of people who still have this ancient DNA. Giantism, it's called, you know, it's like the opposite of dwarfism. And they get it from somewhere, okay? So all of us here on planet Earth, we're all mixed up, you know, literally and figuratively and genetically speaking. I mean, if you had your DNA, I had my DNA uh, analyzed, and, and I was, uh, you know, Kind of surprised, you know, I mean, my father was Orthodox Jew. My mother was Italian uh, Catholic, but the Greeks ended up in Italy. So my DNA, I got 46% Greek. Okay, where did that come from? Nobody in my family is Greek. So that means that our DNA can get mixed around and people, and, and another thing, you know, the diaspora, we talked about that earlier, the, the first and second diaspora. It is my belief that, that, that the God of Israel put his DNA in a group of people. And this goes back, I know you, you, you've written about Phyllis Schlemmer, and I, I got to meet her and sit in on one of her sessions uh, in the 90s, and she left a lasting impression on me, uh, uh, as did uh, Zachariah Sitchin. And one of the things that, that I learned from her, and I, I believe it, is that, is that the ancient Hebrews who she called the Huvas or Huvids came from ancient Atlantis. And there was a, a group of them that, that basically uh, inherited the land after the sinking of Atlantis. And I write about this in my books that there were two major floods. So Genesis 1-1 starts off after the first flood, which we call Lucifer's flood, which actually was the sinking of the ancient civilizations of Atlantis and Lemuria. So, so because this is, the, they are, you know, Hebrews, it's an ancient, you know, a, a very similar. And I, I have a slide there that shows the language, how the cuneiform uh, sort of evolved into the Aramaic. And then the Aramaic became what we, today's Hebrew. Okay. So, um, you know, there, there's all these connections there. And th what got me very excited was uh, the 
processional uh, the the processional ages that are shifting. So you know, I'm sure you know, you've heard about the age of Aquarius, but it hasn't actually technically begun yet because it's supposed to begin when the vernal equinox, the sun rises in the the beginning of the stars of Aquarius, that begins the processional age of Aquarius. And the ages go backwards, okay, uh, unlike our regular zodiac. So we are right now at three degrees of Pisces. So we have a countdown. And, and, and in the way the uh, processional and the astronomy works is that it's 30 degrees okay, per uh, house, and it's not one to 30, it's zero to 29. So, so we are at three degrees of Pisces. So we go three, two, one, zero. The zero point is the shift into the new age. And the last time I, I, I realized this, it got me very excited. It, it, the last time there was an age of Aquarius, was approximately 24 to 26,000 years ago, which was the times of the ancient civilizations of Atlantis and Lemuria. So this is the first time we're going to come full circle to that. And if Phyllis Schlemma is right, and I believe she was on to something, okay, and, and this is where my whole thing, my, my um, uh, hypothesis about the DNA being spread. So it's the opposite kind of of what the Jews have all very have to stay together and be very tribal and clannish and don't don't marry outside of your group. The God of Israel had a different plan, okay? He wanted his DNA to be spread throughout the earth so that everybody had that spark in them because it, 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 it gives a human being the ability to, one, be filled with his spirit. So there's a match, a vibrational match there because it matches something in your DNA. And two, to be able to have the ability the power, the strength, whatever, to fight the God of this world. And that was what he put into the DNA. And, th and that's what the Jews were uh, chosen to do. That was their original assignment, okay? They were chosen to be set apart, to be uh, his grouping, his experiment, so to speak, okay? But the diaspora gave everyone the opportunity to mingle, intermarry, have children with everybody else, okay? So that when the, the end time prophecy comes around, which it is now, it is the regathering of the 12 tribes, which all the peoples of the earth are, par are part of, okay? This is not an exclusive group. This is all of us. Well, uh, I wanted to kind of like finish up on this question of a return of the, uh, you know, the Council of 24 or of the Cedar Gods or the uh, the Ancient Ones, that there have been a number of uh, contactees that have talked about the return of a large fleet of um, founding extraterrestrials. And I know... This kind of connects also to Phyllis Schlemmer because she talked about that back in 73, 74, that I think she, she talked about the, the council. I can't quite remember. Uh, but nine. The council of nine. And I think that there were 24 civilizations associated with them. But 
some are saying that now the these these founder ET races have returned and they are ready to reveal themselves. So what do you know about that? Well, if if uh, I believe that so if you go to slide 75 and 76 because that is the quintessential end time prophecy okay and that is the return of this mothership ancient heavenly city which is called the new jerusalem now the word jerusalem in hebrew means city of peace and we know that the earthly jerusalem is anything but because everybody is fighting over it but it is the eye of the storm but this is the promise and the promise is is that this is coming to overlay the old jerusalem which will eventually be rubble okay and burned down sorry to bear bad news but that's what ends up happening okay the the prophecy says that the that the gentiles trample over Jerusalem and it ends up being nothing, okay? And blood comes flowing and then everything is, you know, Israel is is at a point where no one is going to come to defend her um, and, except the God of Israel. So the God of it, that means America is somehow out of the picture. However that happens, America is not going to be there. So Israel is by herself, on her own, and about to be consumed. And that is the moment when the God of Israel returns and saves Israel. Not because the Jews are so righteous, not because anybody did anything right, but because the God of Israel is doing it for himself, that he is faithful to his word and to his people, his group. And it says that one third of Israel are going to survive when he returns. This is another piece that I have a problem with the Christians with because the Zechariah 12 prophecy and revelation talks about that at that moment, the people who are on the earth at that time see him coming, okay? And they mourn, it says, for the one whom they pierced. How is that possible? So pierced meaning crucifixion, that happened over 2000 years ago. All those people died. How are they going to be on the earth at the moment when he returns? There's only one answer to that, and that is re, that they get reincarnated, okay? So so otherwise it's just like, you know, you know, we're in a different timeline now than it was when when Christ was crucified. This this is a picture that Hubble the Hubble uh, telescope took in the 1990s of what looks like a city. Um, so I have it on my book covers because it's it's the it's the quintessential end time prophecy is when heaven comes to earth, and and when heaven and if you go to the next slide, uh, Michael, it it goes into a little bit more detail about the. Um, you know, that the, the, there's 12 levels to the mothership. There's 12 gates, all named after the 12, tri the 12 blessed tribes of Israel because one of the tribes got cursed and got replaced. And that is what is coming, okay? And then 
we enter into the next age, the age of Aquarius, the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And what happens when he returns is that it says there will be no more darkness. So he's the light of the world. That means something happens to the sun. Okay. And the sun is dot. We didn't even get into that. What's going on around the sun, but the sun is falling apart. We've got these huge, you know, holes in the sun that are belching out coronal mass, <clears throat> excuse me, coronal mass ejections and solar flares repetitively heating up the planet. And, and this is all happening together with this end time war. So the end time war and the solar flares and this, this ancient system is returning. The nemesis Nibiru system, I didn't even uh, get to talk to you about that, is all part of the same, it's all happening, it's a confluence of things happening together, okay? But when he returns, he returns with this, okay? And heaven comes to earth and, and, and all the people who get saved, they might even die, but they come back to life and they become part of this kingdom of heaven on earth. And that is what like New Agers call the ascension because when he returns, he brings the planet up vibrationally speaking so that there's no more uh what we have the curse is gone we the, the earth is cursed you know that right everything right. so so and and you know what happened in atlantis i am of a hold the belief that that the main city of atlantis was a mothership and when the floods were ordered from inside the earth as well as the from the sky the main uh, mothership, the main city took off. Okay. And I, I, I don't know for sure, but I will, I will say that maybe this has something to do with it because it is no coincidence that this is going to happen at that zero point. At the same time, we enter into the next age of Aquarius, the golden age. And the last time that happened, we had the civilizations of Atlantis. So then really, with what you your analysis shows that you you believe that this war that we're seeing right now in Israel Palestine is going to get worse. There's it's going to get hot. There's going to be a multinational alliance of Islamic states around Israel that gets so agitated, gets so worked up that they attack Israel because uh, this war continues and a lot of people in the Gaza Strip are being killed and so forth. So they intervene, and I think uh, Turkey's uh, uh, president has said that, that he's ready to send 2 million men to Gaza to fight, which which is very kind of like uh, frightening. But then uh, at the end of that, that two-thirds of the Israeli population will be, I, I guess, uh, will be deceased, will be killed, one-third that remains, but then this new Jerusalem mothership shows up and then there'll be peace. So so that's, so you feel that is the prophecy that is now unfolding right now? Yes, um, that is the final one. I mean, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, the end time, the quintessential is when the Lord returns. What happens between now and then, it's not good, okay? We got two things happening, the war and we have, a, a, another solar system intersecting with ours that is heating up our planet and causing all kinds of issues, okay? The Schumann frequency goes up and down every day. It's making people, and that's what makes things hot, 
Okay, so it, it's bringing stuff up to the surface. I didn't get to go over the solar flares and, the, and all the CMEs and the planets that are around the sun, but we have a seven planet system, okay, that is connected to Nemesis, which is our binary twin. And Nibiru is one is is just one of those seven. And Nibiru, so th this is my understanding of it, is that is that all of this is a parade, okay, that precedes Nibiru, okay. So comets, increase in comets, asteroids, meteorites, fireballs, uh, the heating up of the planet, the the. The, the belching of coronal mass ejections, the sun is falling apart, literally. If you see what it looked like the other day, I could show you big holes in the sun, sunspots, everything's, it, it, it's, it's not looking good, okay? It's perturbed because it's being, um, it, it's, it's, it, it's having magnetic exchanges between this other system. So the earth, people think, oh, Okay, I thought this for a long time. Oh, Nibiru is going to pass the Earth. The Earth is going to orbit right into Nibiru's path. That's we're on a trajectory. Okay, so one of the things that our uh, government, or NASA, it's like one of their top projects is DART. Okay, which is to go in and nudge asteroids out of their orbit so that they don't hit the earth. Very similar to that movie Armageddon where um, Bruce Willis, he gives himself, you know, as a suicide mission, gives himself up to blow up this asteroid to save the earth. Well, they're not putting humans, they're not doing that. They're using technology, okay, to divert asteroids from hitting the earth. But the, the prophecy says one of them is going to hit the, Nibiru is not going to hit the earth, but one of its pieces, one of its asteroids. It's a tale of comets and asteroids and all kinds of space junk. And unlike regular comets or whatever, the tail precedes the planet. So the tail comes first and we end up in the tail. And that is, if you go to, just uh, show you this real quick. Um, <clears throat> Well, while, you, uh, while you're looking at that, I just wanted to, yes, comment, you yes. know, when it comes to Nibiru, that there is another 90. Um, story out there that Nibiru is not a planet. You know, Sitchin it's thought a... Nibiru was a planet, but Nibiru is actually a spacecraft. It's a mothership belonging to Enki. Well, you know what? I say it's all of the above. And that's, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to share my slides with you. You have them. But the ships that we're seeing coming out of what I call the Nemesis Nibiru system, <clears throat> there are ships. He is right about the ships. And they can call a ship Nibiru. We can call a ship. We can call, you and I can have a spaceship and call it the USS Enterprise if we want to. You can name your spaceship after Nibiru if you want to. That doesn't take away from the fact that there is this comet planet, which um, Carlos Munez Ferrada, the 1940s Chilean astronomer, very accurately tracked and discerned. We know that there is a seven, there's seven planets that are around this brown dwarf star that is our binary twin. And we are seeing it, okay? So seeing is believing um, because we're seeing it in the space telescopes. We're seeing it, people are seeing it with their own two. I saw 
an, an object. I'm not saying it it, it wasn't Nibiru. It was it was a big red. I, I have I share a picture in my uh, slides here, and and it wasn't a, a lens flare because I saw it with my naked eye, and then I I clicked the the camera. So people are seeing the 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 twin sunsets all over the planet, and it's all about light and angles and also the fact that it orbits okay so it, things are constantly moving so um you know if if you what what i wanted to tell you was not number 90 if you go to number 90 um that slide that's that's a very major big uh, end time prophecy is the sixth seal and this is where a lot of Christians for years, you know, they got really kind of lost in these blood moons. I mean, they even made a movie about it and it was just another uh, diversion and, and misnomer and falsehood that every time there's a blood moon, oh, the rapture's gonna happen or this one's gonna happen. No. The, the, the prophecy is very clear. Astronomically speaking, it's it's impossible for a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse to happen at the same time. So blood moons are only full moon lunar eclipses, okay, which are not that rare, okay? Eclipses happen like clockwork every six months. So every so often we do have a total, okay, or we have a total solar. This is not this is not unusual. It's it's part of our rhythm. Okay, so it's impossible for the sun to go black, which would happen under a, a solar eclipse, and the moon to go red, which would happen under a lunar eclipse at the same time. Okay, it's astronomically impossible. What that six seal means and what the prophecy in Joel uh, that, that, that got, you know, mis misunderstood is the presence of this other system, okay, which is uh, the Nemesis Nibiru system, which is, and Nibiru is full of red iron oxide. So Nibiru is actually golden at its core, okay, and, and, and its wings are red, which is why it shows up as red. So I proved through, you know, the writings and the linguistics that it is predicted in all the religions. It's in all the prophecies. It's in the Zohar. They call it the red messianic star. It's in the Torah. It's it's in the ancient Chinese literature. They, they called it the red dragon. Uh, the Hopis called it the red Kachina. Um, so suffice to say it's red. And the reason why it's red is because of this red iron oxide. So the, so we, earth comes into its path. We are, we are on a trajectory. We are orbiting into its path and its path is full of all this red iron oxide junk. Okay. And, and it, when earth comes into that, it gets in between earth and the sun and earth and the moon. And that is when this six seal happens, which is when the moon goes red and the sun goes black because it's a massive meteor shower. So it's an atmospheric change. And the other big thing that is already happening, you and I, as we sit and speak, we are living through it, is a pole shift. 
Yes, a real pole shift. And this is also in the end time prophecy. Isaiah uh, talks about uh, the, the Lord is going to turn the earth upside down. Okay, which is basically biblical vernacular for pole shift. And to date, we see that our north magnetic pole, which uh, used to be in the Canadian Arctic, is now in Siberia. And it has moved approximately 40, 42 degrees. Right. Well, I, I think that, you know, I mean, it needs to be said that, I mean, I, I think that there is some very interesting prophecies here. And uh, the the texts are, are kind of can be interpreted to support these kinds of scenarios, but you know when you look at the science, when you look what's out there, and when you look at say uh, different whistleblowers and insiders that are talking, I mean they're not talking about this happening at all. They're not talking about a giant planet coming in. They're talking about motherships, fleets of motherships. I mean I've I've got someone that's working with the that's an active. Uh, U.S. Army insider, and he he says he was part of a mission where they went out there to greet Space Command, went out there to greet a fleet of incoming motherships. It, you know, nothing to do with uh, Nibiru and um, you know, and the destroyer planet. Um, you know, because I mean, that's uh, Zechariah Sitchin said that, and I understand he was a proponent of that, but. I mean, I, I th you know, personally, I, I would go with the information coming from people that have real-time intelligence on what's happening in space as opposed to looking at prophecy. Well, uh, I, I don't just do one thing, okay? That's my whole shtick is I connect dots. So if you go uh, to slide, uh, like, let's say 92, that's probably one of my most recent photos. Um, I am working with a group of researchers who daily track the space telescopes, okay? The SOHO, Coronagraph, uh, the GOES, the LASCO. Uh, and, and we are seeing both planets, okay? Exoplanets, large, gigantic spheres, okay? If you want to just call them spherical objects that are probably five to eight times the size of Earth and, and even five times the size of Jupiter, okay, showing up around the sun. So, I mean, if you want, you know, I, I could show you a video of something actually uh, sucking energy from the sun, a, ver a very big sphere. So that uh, one of the MUFON investigators actually uh, said, you know, this is, this is not a solar flare. This was not a, a, a coronal mass ejection. He calls it a techno signature. Okay, so these are objects, okay? They're also planets and we also have spaceships. So I think it's, it's a confluence, uh, uh, Michael, of all of the above. And, and, I, and, and, it, and it's sort of hard to have one without the other because, you know, with, with these uh, planets, these exoplanets and their moons that are showing up around the sun, you know, what are the odds that maybe one of them is inhabited? Maybe multiple uh, moons or exoplanets are inhabited and they have, sh they have spaceships to go with it. So um, if, if, you, if you look at... Um, I well, we, we do need to wrap it up, uh, Ella. So, sure. you know, maybe, maybe just want to say some final words uh, about where people can go if they want to learn more about 
your research and get in touch with you? Uh, yes, I'm I'm uh, at who's who in the cosmic zoo.com. Uh, you can send me a message through my contact page and I'll respond through email. And uh, I do have a new Facebook page, Ella LeBain. Just find me. One of them is not working. The other one is. Um, thank you. Well, thank you for well, having me. Well, thank you, Ella. It really was a fascinating and stimulating uh, discussion. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you and aloha. Likewise. Thank you. You have been listening to Exopolitics today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. Mm -hmm.